Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Uh, we're going to begin our reading again at verse number one. Uh, as we say, uh, we dealing with this subject, show me the evidence. And it's critically important for us to realize that God wants us to, to, to be a beacon light for his gospel out in the world that we live in. So Hebrews, the 13th chapter says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Next verse says what? Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Next verse. Let's keep going. God give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Next verse. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Can we stop right there? We'll stop right there. And uh, we'll pick back up in our, in our lesson that we've been sharing with you on show me the evidence. Now, again, guys, uh, we realize that it's critically important for us to be models of this gospel that we are being taught, this mo- be models of this gospel that we are uh, find ourselves studying on a consistent basis. Um, now, again, we said there are four in this chapter, there are four primary evidences of faith that are uh, extended or exhorted by the author to these Hebrew Christians. You that studied this book know that they were uh, they were facing persecution. They were extra. They were they were uh, ex- excommunicated from the from the temple. Family members had turned their backs on them. So this writer writes this letter to not only give them the strength to know that what you believing and what you have now in Christ Jesus is far better than what you came out of. But but he also lets them know that as you're going about living this life, there are some things that people should be able to see in you as you do life. People should be able to see the love of God being extended through what we do as born-again believers, right? Now, we said the first thing we were looking at is is we should be enjoying spiritual fellowship. Everybody say enjoying spiritual fellowship. That's critically important. Now, again, what are some things that if we, when we're really enjoying spiritual fellowship, number one, we said brotherly love should be uh, present in our everyday living. Brotherly love. Everybody say brotherly love. That's the Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love. That should be exhibited in our, in our life. We also said hospitality. Everybody say hospitality. Hospitality, the ministry of hospitality is critically important for us to make sure that we are seeing that in our everyday life. And so we get down to this next part on, under, under enjoying spiritual fellowship, which is helping the imprisoned and the mistreated. Everybody say helping the imprisoned and the mistreated. Now, if you go back and study the, the time and the history of these, the, the believers uh, when the writer wrote this letter to the Hebrew Christians, you'll understand that it was not unusual for Christians to be arrested and imprisoned for their faith. Are y'all listening to me? That was not, that, the Apostle Paul stayed in jail. <laughs> Can I get a witness? In other words, he, he, was all, he was, you know, when you look at the book of Acts and you see when the early church was actually doing the work of ministry, they faced incarceration as a result of that. And to identify with these prisoners 
uh, for these Hebrew Christians might have been a dangerous thing because if they saw them going to visit them and bringing them things, it would have it would have caused uh, those who were persecuting them to come after them. So it took guts and glory to be able to go and visit someone in prison. Amen. Yet Christ's love demanded that they minister to these believers who had been incarcerated. So, guys, to minister to a Christian prisoner in the name of Christ is to minister to Christ himself. Let's go to Matthew, the 13th chapter, not 13, Matthew, chapter 25. And let's look at, if you will, let's start at verse number, I think I started 31. Matthew uh, 31. Glory to God. Matthew 25, verse number 31. The text says this. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious what? His throne. Let's keep reading. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. Now, again, whenever in the King James Version of the Scripture, when you see the word nations, that's not talking about a country. It talks about, that's talking about ethnicity or nationality. Okay? That's why in the book of Revelation it talks about when all men from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be around the throne worshiping the Savior, it is talking about nationality or ethnicity. So all ethnicities will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Are y'all still with me today? Let's keep reading. Next verse says what? He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left hand. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you don't want to be on the left hand. Can I get a witness? All right, let's keep reading. Uh, he will place the sheep. The, uh, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed, who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Let's keep reading. It says, for I was what? Say it again. Say, I was what? Here we go. Back to hospitality at the table. Right. Remember, I shared with you on last week that most of many times Jesus ministered around the table. Many times he ministered around the table, sharing gospel truth. He did it with Zacchaeus. Let's keep reading. For I was hungry and you did what? You fed me. I was thirsty and you what? Gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me where? Wait, wait, wait. Can we go back and read that again? I was what? I was a stranger and you did what? You invited me into your home. Let's keep reading. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you did what? And you visited me. Let's keep reading. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink. Or a stranger and show you hospitality. Or naked and give clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? He says, and the king will say, I I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, what? My brothers and sisters. All right? My brothers and sisters. Again, remember, he's, he's dealing with an issue here. 
in Matthew, but in Hebrews, it's talking about the fact that, that those Christians, Hebrew Christians, should, should learn to show hospitality to one another because all of them were facing persecution. And when people were coming through, they need a place to, to park, a place to stay, to, a place where they could eat, a place where they could feel welcome. Are y'all with me today? i tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Next verse. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you curse one in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. He says this, for I was hungry and you what? I was thirsty and you what? You didn't give me a drink. Next verse says what? I was a stranger and you didn't what? I was naked and you didn't do what? You didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't what? You didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger, naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. Now again, understand what Jesus is showing us here. It's important for us to realize, guys, that uh, uh, we, when we minister to people, it's like ministering to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I've told you before, you can't please God without engaging with people. Are y'all, y'all track with me? You can't please God and you can't fully fulfill your calling and your ministry purpose if you detach yourself from people. Now I'm sitting here and, I'm, and in my spirit right now, I sense that some of you all, because you've been hurt by people, you said, I'm not going to connect myself closely with anybody again because I don't like being hurt. Come on, just, just nod your head and say, yeah, Pastor, I've been there before where I said, I swore off, I ain't fooling with people anymore. But let me tell you something. If, if you actually are serious about your faith, if you are actually serious about pleasing God, I am telling you unequivocally, by fear or trepidation, you cannot fully please God by detaching, your pe- by detaching yourself from people. Because God going to use you to minister to people. God chose the foolishness of preaching to get men saved. And he wants to use you, he wants to use your story, your testimony, your witness to reach people. Can I get one witness up in here? So, so, so what we got to do, if we're going to please God, if you truly want to do this. Now, I got sense enough to know that everybody that's saying, I love Jesus with all my heart, mind, and soul, don't really mean that. It sounds good. Uh, we say it. But when are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in your heart and your life and get over your little idiosyncrasies, your little ways, or your little fears, or your little things that cause you to pull back and say, I'll just stay to myself. I'm coming on Sunday, Pastor. I'll be there. I'll support the work of ministry with my tithes, offering, and giving. But don't ask me to do anything extra. Don't ask me to get outside of my comfort zone because I just, I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. Well, listen, I want to tell you something. God says it's time for us as a body of believers to be proactive in the promoting of the gospel message. Can I get a witness of it? Otherwise, <laughs> we just, you know, we, we just have a little country club here where everybody comes. We have a little good time and we, we eat a little food and, you know, we laugh and we hear some songs and we hear a message. And then we just go about our way. God says, I need you to do more for me. Can I get a witness? 
I need you to do more for me. So God is trying to get us to that point. Okay. So, so, so again, it, it, it was, it was to minister to a, to a, 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 a person who's, who's poor, who's going through was a part of our mandate as born again believers. Now, uh, if you will, go with me to Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, verse 7 through 8. Help the, helping the imprisoned and the mistreated. Again, remember, as he writes this, there were many Christians who were in jail for their faith. This is, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong to, to minister to whoever's in prison, but specifically he's dealing with those Christian believers who were incarcerated simply for promoting the gospel. Some of y'all think, well, you know, that guy killed five people and you want me to go visit him? He needs to be saved. But, but specifically, he's talking about these Christians who have been incarcerated. Are y'all with me today? All right, so look at Deuteronomy 15, verse number 7. text says this, but if, there, but if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Now, what does it mean to be tight-fisted? Stingy. Do we have any stingy people in the house? Now listen, <laughs> one of the things that we appreciate, and, and guys, listen, I've seen God do some, some miraculous and some, some continual faithful things as it relates to the ministry work of EBC. God has continually blessed us to be able to be a blessing to others. And I believe that's because we, we, we made up in our mind a long time ago that we're going to do it God's way. We were not going to try to come up with some other plan to finance the work of ministry. We're going to do it the way God said, do it through tithes, offering, and sacrificial giving. And God has been so faithful in making sure that the, that the cares of this house are taken care of and we don't have to beg you for money. Are y'all with me today? But, but, but know and understand this, that all of us have an obligation if we are part of a ministry to help support that work of ministry. Okay? But God has been, God's been faithful. God, God, is, God has allowed us to be able to do things that churches twice our size have not been able to do because there's, there's financial order in the house and we chose to do it God's way. Are y'all with me today? And we're going to continue to do it God's way. So we're not going to be tight-fisted. Look at what he says again. I told you on last week that it was, Israel uh, was, was, was commanded uh, to show hospitality to those who were less fortunate. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Let's go, if you will, to the book of Psalms. I think it's the 82nd number of Psalms. And look at verses 3 through 4. Psalms 82, I think that's where I want to go. Verses 3 through 4. Glory to God. Everybody says, show me the evidence. Look at what the text says. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. You know, do you not realize that the people who are less fortunate, who are marginalized, can easily be taken advantage of? And I think it's fitting that we even focus on this as on tomorrow we celebrate uh, uh, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who, who was, it was his passion to make sure that the marginalized were not neglected and left out. And so as a church family, we, we, we got to make sure that we uh, care about those who are marginalized, care enough to get involved. 
And I'm going to tell you something. It helps you to even be more sensitive in this area when you do more than just give money toward an issue. Now, support is financial is good, but it's important for us to connect and get involved ourselves. Look at me. Come on. Talk to me. It's, in, it's, it's, it's incumbent upon us to get involved ourselves because as we do that, as we remember the poor, all right, it causes us to, to, to gravitate toward a common purpose and, 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 and empowers us to walk in unity as we serve those who are less fortunate than we are. Go to Proverbs 19, verse number 17. Glory to God. So helping the imprisoned and the mistreated should be one of the evidences of our faith. Show me the evidence. Now, when, when was the last time you helped somebody who, was, who, who needed some help and they couldn't do anything for you in return? When's the last time you uh, 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 helped someone? Uh, now, again, as I said, here in, the, in these United States of America, it's not very often where you, I don't, I don't know if you've seen anybody that's, 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 that's in prison because they believe in Jesus, but there are countries across this globe where, where, where people risk their lives, risk their freedom to talk about Jesus. And whatever we can do to help them, uh, you know, whether it be monetarily or, or supporting a ministry that ministers them, let's get involved and do that because it's important for us to, to carry out the of this word in our everyday life. Look at what the text says. If you help the poor, you are what? Lending to the Lord and he will do what? How many of y'all know the Lord's got a good credit score? In my house? The Lord has a perfect credit score. He pays his debt. He that lend it to the poor, the KJV says, uh, who, who that give it to the poor, lend it to the Lord. So the Lord knows how to repay his debt. So if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will do what? He will repay you. Now, again, we definitely need to pray for those who, uh, in, especially in other countries who have, who have been arrested because of their stand for Christ. Uh, who've, been, who've been incarcerated, who have been persecuted because they n- simply named the name of Christ. Again, it was common even among Christians, and the reason why this was given, this command was given, it was common even among Christians to dismiss the poor and cater to those who were well off. Go to James with me right quick. James chapter number two, verses two through six. James chapter two, verses number two through six. Because the writer, the, the writer to, the, to these Hebrew Christians reminds them that God calls us to identify with the oppressed rather than the oppressors and to care for all those who are being mistreated. All right? Let's start at verse number one of this second chapter. Let's read. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? Watch the text. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. Watch the text. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Watch the text. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to love him? Verse, it says, but you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? 
Next verse. Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scripture. Love your neighbor as what? Now watch what that says. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means that my love for my neighbor, my neighbor is not just a guy that's, that lives next door to me, but my neighbor is anybody that's not me. Are you with me? It says, love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. Everybody say, as myself. Now, now we, so, so we see here from this scripture text that we have a mandate to, to help those that are poor, right? Those who, those who are who are marginalized. Now again, listen to me very carefully. Some of y'all, some of you listening to me, you're going to say, well, but pastor, there's some people who I know that they always coming back to me time and time again. You know, one, one of the things I will say is important for us as believers and what we try to do here as a minister is to teach people how to, to move from where you are to where you, what God says you can be. In other words, uh, there are some people who will try to take advantage of you. But what I'm going to tell you is use godly wisdom as you minister to those who are marginalized. Everybody is not trying to take advantage of you. But use wisdom in how you do that. I don't give money to everybody that comes up and and asks me. I don't. I'm going to be prayerful about it. And and, and I don't wait for somebody to ask me for money to to always give. Maria and I will sow into people's lives all the time. We do it all the time. Because we realize that when God prompts us to do that, he prompts us for a reason. Are you listening to me today? So, so it's going to be important for us to realize that, that, that we have a responsibility. Part of, part of this uh, enjoying spiritual fellowship is to do what we said. Uh, we're going to make sure that we as a body of believers uh, take time to minister to and to share with those who are imprisoned and those who are being mistreated. All right? Let's go to this next one. Uh, the next thing we said is we want to we make sure is that we have purity in marriage. Everybody say purity in marriage. Get back to Hebrews 13 with me right quick. And let's, let's park here for a second in my, in my time. It, it, these last two, we're talking about purity in marriage and we're talking about learning how to be content. Contentment is real important. Hebrews 13 chapter. Let's go back and let's look at verse number four. Hebrews 13 verse number four. Are y'all still with me today? So let's make sure that we have a heart and a mind to not forget those who are in prison for their faith and forget those who are, who are, who are poor and marginalized. Let's do our part to make sure that we are obeying the Holy Scripture. Amen? All right, so let's park here for a second. I'll go through some things here, and I hope y'all listen to me very carefully because the writer is telling them this for a reason. Okay? He says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another, what? In marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit, what? Adultery. Let's read verse 5 for, for, for good measure. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Now, let me just say something right. We're coming back to this. But when it says be satisfied with what you have, that means be content, be at peace with where you are at your state in life. It doesn't mean that you have to stay in that same state and not try to move up in life. Because the more God blesses you, the more you have to bless others. If I don't have anything after I take care of my obligations and buy food, then how am I going to be a blessing to others? 
So God doesn't have a problem with a believer having uh, abundance because it's out of our abundance that we're able to help others. Are y'all with me? Some people get mad and say, well, you know, why, why they're preaching the, the, the prosperity of the believer. I believe in the prosperity of the believer because Job was rich, Abraham was rich, and they used those riches for God's glory. How can I help you if I don't have anything? It's when we, when we get that out of order, when we start chasing money, chasing wealth, rather than chasing God. Can I get a witness? God has no problem whatsoever with you prospering financially. Let me say it again. God has no problem whatsoever with you fi- prospering financially. Let me come to this side again and say it. Because this has got a bad rap because of bad teaching. Let me ask you a question. If, if you think God got a problem with you uh, advancing financially, why don't you just quit your job and then go to the poorhouse? I don't see anybody doing that. Because guess what? You can't help somebody else if you don't have anything. Right? God uses my time of abundance to help those that are lacking so that if I find myself in a state of lack, those who were in lack but not in abundance can come back and help me during that time. All right? So it's been in balance. Amen? Are y'all listening to me? All right, so anyhow, so, so don't, but don't love, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible even tells us to charge those who are rich according to this world system that they, that, that, that they not trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the true and the living God. The, the issue is, is where does your trust lie? Where does your trust lie? Do you have peace if you got $500,000 in your savings account on your money market account? Do you have peace? Can you have peace if you only got $1,000? Or if you have $500, can you still have peace? Now, it's better to have $500,000 than $500. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. If I gave you the choice of having $500 or $500,000, how many of y'all choose $500,000? Let me see your hands. I'll choose it every day. <laughs> Somehow, we've been duped into thinking that resources mean that something is wrong. We've been duped into thinking that, that, that God can't use us properly if, if, if we have resources. But I'm going to tell you something. God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Amen? All right, so that's... I'm jumping ahead of myself. Can I go back to this Puritan marriage thing right quick? Now, let's look at it again. Go go back to that verse number four. And and again, I I realize that we have opportunities and times, and this is a shameless plug. Hey, listen, sign up for, we have an EXO marriage conference that will be simulcasted here on February the 10th and 11th. Married couples, singles, uh, engaged, want to know how to be married, right? Maybe the first time you did it, it it was jacked up. Y'all know what it means to be jacked up. Come and learn, all right? So uh, February 10th through, deadline is January 31st. Hey, come and let's learn uh, uh, from, from, from those who've been through the, 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 the meal and have, have, have wisdom that can help us to, to do marriage the right way. And listen, I've been married 37 years, and I don't ever think I know it all. I'm, I've, been, I've been married so long, I don't need to. Listen, let me tell you something. I want to always refine what's going on in my house. I don't know about you, but I always want to get, get it better. It always can get better when we learn better and begin to do better. Can I get a witness? All right, so 
So, so, so sign up for our EXO simulcast of the, uh, simulcast of the EXO conference here on February the 12th through the 11th. Now watch this, watch this. So purity in marriage. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely sure, sure judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Now, what he's dealing with right here, uh, the, the KJV says marriage is honorable and all and the bed undefiled. So what is, he, what is he dealing with now? In actuality, in context, he's, he's dealing with uh, sexual purity in the marriage. Are y'all with me? The Bible, uh, the Bible seems to give, give us two broad reasons or purposes for sex. Now listen, if, 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 if you at the time that I said sex kind of tighten up, Or you're thinking he shouldn't talk about that on a Sunday morning. You are the person who I'm dealing with specifically. <laughs> because what you've allowed is the enemy and the world to define what sexuality is all about. And so much so that most of us in here grew up in a climate, even in the church, where sex was dirty. Sex was something that was nasty. You didn't talk about it, but everybody was trying to do it. Now, you all know me by now. I'm going to preach the Bible. If the Bible talks about it, then why aren't we talking about it in a God-honoring way? Amen? I'll be gentle this morning. At marriage retreats, I'm a little bit more precise. But I, I got to share this with you guys because, because when we think of it this way, that's what gets... Let, 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 I've said this before and I'll say it again. You parents who think that your children don't know about sex, you are deceived. I told you, surveys tell us that most, of, most young boys are exposed to pornography as young as eight years of age. And by the time they're teenagers, they're consuming it on, on, on a regular basis over the internet. 70% of them. Not my child. Why not your child? Well, he, he told me he didn't. Oh, he told you he didn't. So your child won't lie. No, you are deceived. Because I don't know about all three of mine lied. And yours will too. So, so, so I want to talk about it in my time remaining. So the Bible, the Bible, go to Genesis 1, 27 through 28 right quick. I got to move. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. Like so many other things in life, especially from a spiritual nature, sex is intended to be a visible picture of, of an invisible reality. I'll explain it in just a second. Sex is intended to be a visible picture of an invisible reality. Notice what God says here in the text. So God created, we all read with me, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28 says what? Then God blessed them and said, be 
fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Are y'all still tracking with me today? So, so he tells them to be fruitful and do what? Multiply. So he created man, male, female, created he them, and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Well, an obvious, on, a, on an obvious biological level, sex was designed by God for the reproduction of the human race. Are y'all with me today? That's why, guys, when, when you think about it, Again, people have all kinds of definitions that they, that they've, that they've ascribed to what God meant by marriage. But hear me very carefully. It is impossible for a person, two people of the same sex, to procreate. So, so, so listen, even as I said before, I'm not here to, 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 to do anything but speak truth. I'm not, if I didn't even argue it theologically or spiritually, I could argue it biologically. You can't get no doctor worth this salt to tell a man can have sex with another man and procreate. It won't happen. A woman cannot have sex with another woman and, and they procreate and produce a child. Why not? Because it's not the natural order. And nothing that man can do, you can go have a sex change operation and it ain't going to change the natural order. You still won't be able to have a child. Because it's not God's natural order. I know you may feel an attraction, but that attraction is not God's natural order. Go to Romans, the first chapter, me right quick. Come on. And listen, I'm not preaching uh, hate. I'm just preaching truth. And if, if, if you can come to me and, and, and show me biologically where, where, where it's natural, then cool. But you can't do it. A man's sex organ was not designed to interface with another man's sex organ. It, it's, I didn't want to think about it. A woman's, a woman's sexual organ was not designed to interface. And so how do you get past that and be credible? Now, you, you can say whatever you want to say, but how can you be credible and not understanding that God's natural order is for male and female to connect? And part of sexuality is for reproduction. It's, it's for enjoyment also because, you know, every time you, re, you, you come together, you won't have a baby, do you? Okay, never mind, never mind. Thank you, Dar. Dar says, all right, Dar says, all right. <laughs> All right, if you will, go into Romans, the first chapter. Let's start at verse number. Let's go to verse number, uh, verse number 20. Romans chapter one, verse number 20. Lord Jesus. All right, now, now what, what are we saying? Purity in marriage. Marriage is honorable law and the bed undefiled. So that means that sex was created by God, which means it's good. But God, thank you. Uh, but God had some parameters, some boundaries that He set up for the sexual sexual act. Okay, now watch the text. Can we, can we read the Bible? Forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. In other words, it says through everything God made. When we look at creation. 
clearly see his invisible quality, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Next verse, let's read, let's go. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. I got to go. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Let's go. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worship and serve the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Next verse says, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex. And instead indulged in sex with each other. This ain't nothing new, guys. We had, we had, like, we had like this stuff, this sexual perversion and pervasiveness in this country is something new. This, this, this stuff happened thousands of years ago. You can go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and saw the wickedness of mankind then. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserve. Okay? So, so I, I, I don't... that's not my sermon message today but I just want to tell you that the natural order of things are very evident now you you can say whatever you want to say but it is not natural for a woman to be the woman and a man to be the man okay it's not the natural order if you're going to be biblical or if you're going to be biological you'll understand what I'm talking about alright so 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 so, so perversion has crept into the earth realm and in a lot of our marriages perversion has crept in also, now listen to this very carefully. A man and a woman who are wholeheartedly devoted to each other and enjoying deep spiritual and emotional they come together. When they come together physically, they come together to express their love and commitment to each other. It, it, it's, it's, it's actually a sacred thing. It's, it's, it's actually, in a way, a mysteriously holy act intended to signify unity and fidelity with each other. Are y'all still track with it? Now, th- that's in contrast to, uh, in contrast to, to the, 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 the mindset that a lot of our society carries now, where everybody's ready for a cheap hookup, just kicking it together. There's no commitment. We just come together and do our thing. We, we leave and we go and you know, pretend like we don't even know each other when we see each other in the mall. Let me tell you something. God, God created sexuality. It was good. It's for, pro, pro, for procreation and for enjoyment within the confines of the marital relationship. Well, since, uh, you know, uh, since, since we look at this text again, it says marriage is honorable in all, Hebrews 13 and the bed undefiled. When we look at this, 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 this admonition that the writer gives to these Hebrew Christians, apparently there was a need for this amongst the church. Are y'all with me today? Now, since the marriage between a husband and wife is intended to mirror Christ's relationship with the church, go to Ephesians 5 while I'm talking. 
unfaithfulness destroys this picture of devotion. Let me say it again. Y'all heard me preach before. The marital relationship between a husband and a wife is designed to mirror Christ's relationship with the church. I'm telling you, even when it comes to the sexual act, it's a sign of unity and commitment when, when the husband and wife come together within the confines of the marital relationship. And it's, it's designed to, to show us a tangible picture of how Christ connects with his church. Ephesians 5, let's look at, if you will, verse number 20. Well, let's start at verse number 1. Come on, come on, I got to move. I don't have time to go through all of this, but I'm through it just, just to get us through, okay? Listen to what the writer says to, to, the, to the church of Ephesus. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. He says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. He's talking to the church. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. I know we don't like to talk about this nowadays. I know people say, well, that's old folk and that's old fashioned. Pastor, you're just fooling yourself. But I'm the one who believes that when a Christian honestly wants to please God, he'll, he'll say, listen, God, I'm going to honor you with my body and my spirit. Because both of them belong to you. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Listen to this, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Let's go. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an, an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Now that I'm a person of light, I got to live like I'm walking in the light. That the light is in me. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Next verse says, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose. Back up. Take no part. In the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead do what? What does it say? What does this tell Christians? Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead do what? Shine light on them. That's why when I'm preaching up here, I'm, 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 I'm going to the word of God and I'm trying to shine light on something that you may think is okay. I'm going to shine light. I'm not going to put you out there on blast individually, but, I, but I'm going to shine light on evil. And if, 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 if you're in authentic relationship and authentic community with a person in Christ who knows you, then they need to shine light on, on darkness that may be in your life to help you, to help me. Are y'all with me today? That's why authentic community is very important. Next verse, let's read. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's go. So be careful how you live. How you living. 
That's what I. That's what God was. Show me the evidence. How are you living? Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You can't understand what the Lord wants you to do if you never studied what the Lord has written in His Word. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. Now, here's one. And give thanks for, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 21 says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 22, watch this. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body of the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Watch this. For husband, this means love your wives. Husbands, love your wife. Say hi, pastor. Like Christ, love the church. Unconditionally. He gave up his life for her. Now think about that for a second, my brothers. And, and wives, you think about what I said earlier. Reverence your husband. Respect your husband. But husband, love her. Give he says, Christ gave up his life for her, and are you willing to give up your life to protect your spouse? Move on, move on down, if you will. Brother Jay, skip down. I, I read the, y'all read the whole chapter. I, I almost did. But, but, but look at this. Uh, I think it's in 31. Go, skip down to 31. Glory to God. Hallelujah. There we are. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. It's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are what? One. Go to Colossians 3 and 5 with me right quick. See, your, your marriage relationship, and particularly your marriage bed, is an illustration of how Christ and the church are one. During sexual, the sexual act, a husband and wife become united, connected body physically. But there's some things that, that, that's more involved than just the physical act. There, some, some, watch this, watch this, watch this. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Now watch this. When it comes to the sexual act between a husband and a wife, everybody say between a husband and a wife, there are some signs where that, that relationship can be unhealthy and not really picturing what the Bible designed for it to picture, which is unity and intimacy. Let me give you a couple of things. Like I'm, I'm going to let you go. You may want to just kind of make a middle note of this or go back and watch it when you get home. What are some signs of unhealthy sexual relationship in a husband-wife marriage bed? Now, if you're not married, it's unhealthy and ungodly. Can I say it again? Can I say it out loud and on purpose? If you're engaging in sexual intercourse outside of the bond of the marriage covenant, then you're out of the will of God. All right, but here's some things, some signs where it may be unhealthy and not picturing that unity and that, and that, and that closeness that God designed for that physical act 
to illustrate the invisible reality of our relationship with God. Can I get it with number one? If there's lots of physical involvement with little deep emotional or spiritual interaction. When there is lots of physical involvement with little or no deep emotional or spiritual interaction. In other words, you just you just had sex. There was no there was no closeness, there was no there was no emotional, no spiritual connection. You did the physical act. If in your marriage all it is is a physical act, that's an unhealthy sign. Here's another unhealthy sign. When there's pressure by one partner, means the other partner is uncomfortable with. Somebody's getting real uncomfortable now because we don't talk about this stuff in church. But let me tell you something. A lot of marriages are suffering because you won't talk about this. Hello? Third thing is when there's the withholding of sex by either party as a weapon or as leverage in the relationship. I got Bible on that. First Corinthians, the seventh chapter. Can we go there right quick? Verse number three. I got to get you out of here. Come on. First Corinthians, seventh chapter. But somebody needs to hear this because somebody, somebody's in a marriage relationship and you say, Pastor, how, how does that picture relationship with Christ and church? My, my, our sexuality is, 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 is not healthy at all, Pastor. And, 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 I, and I dread it when it takes place. That shouldn't be the case. First Corinthians 7, 3. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. I didn't make this up. Next verse. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his, his body to his wife. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. After what, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now what he says, what he's advising and what he's commanding here is, listen, there needs to be a mutual agreement and mutual understanding. When, when, I, when, you, when you get this passage, don't use this passage as a hammer for your spouse. Because it's unhealthy if your relationship is only I got to rather than I get to embrace and have intimacy with this person who I signed on the dotted line and said we're in covenant relationship together with. If it's doggone it again. Foot, don't you ever get tired? Mentality, that's not healthy. I'm just trying to help somebody. And the point I'm trying to make is when we don't quite understand how that's connected to our spiritual walk and what it's supposed to represent, we'll be flippant about it and only look at it from a natural standpoint when there is a spiritual connection that is made when a husband and wife come together in holy sexuality. Okay? All right. Let me give you a couple of things that I gotta get out of here. When I, no, I'm gonna stop it. I'm gonna stop it. 
the point I'm trying to make is when it says marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, whenever there's uh, adultery, whenever there's uh, unhealthy sexual relationship involved in a marriage, that's a sign that something is wrong with your relationship. And my, my advice and my encouragement to every married couple in here is to, is to make sure that you don't just let that just go because it can affect your relationship and how the husband-wife relationship should picture the relationship between Christ and the church. And when you learn how to do it the right way, when you learn how to, to have uh, emotional intimacy prior to, and where it's not just a physical act, but it's actually a culmination of the closeness that's been developed between you and your spouse throughout the course of the day, throughout the course of the week, it can be a beautiful picture of how Christ connects to his church. That may be a little deep for some of y'all, but I'm here to tell you God designed it to show the relationship connectivity. And so when we don't have that, then things get out of whack. The last thing is contentment. And we'll pick back up on next week as we talk about submitting to spiritual leadership. Okay? So my hope is, is that when we look at this first evidence in joy and spiritual fellowship, that we understand that brotherly love is important for us to display. We understand that hospitality is important for us to do. We understand that showing uh, care and concern for those who are in prison and those who are marginalized is something that we need to be very uh, aware of and cognizant of. And to, and to, to make sure that, 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 that we have a, a good understanding of, of what it means to have purity in the marital relationship and that we understand how to be content like Paul says, in whatever state I'm in, therewith I learn how to be content. I learn how to rest in Jesus wherever I am. I, I learn how to rest in Jesus when things are way up here, and I learn how to rest in Jesus when they're down here. I learn how to rest in Jesus when I'm on the mountaintop, and I learn how to rest in Jesus when I'm down in the valley experience, when I'm going through some things. Even though I'm going through emotionally, I may be tore up, but I'm still resting in Jesus because he is my Lord and Savior. What about you? Are you at that point in your life where you say, Jesus, take control of my life and let me do what only you want me to do? And as we do that, we'll show the evidence of our faith to those who are watching our lives. And make no mistake about it. Somebody is watching your life. I don't care what you do. I was in the gym the other day working out and, and a young man who I didn't know at the time, he came up and introduced himself to me. I knew his dad. But I didn't know him. And he, the question he asked me was, do you still walk around the town of Ben? So you used to pass by my house almost every day. I didn't know the guy. People be watching you, and you don't even know they're watching you. When you go places, make no mistake about it. When you're at work, when you're on your job, when you're in your home, when you're at the, at the gathering, at the ball game, somebody is watching you. How do you do life? So show them some evidence that you belong to Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you and praise you.